Well, it feels like it's been a long time since I've been here uh, able to share the Word of God with you. It has been a couple of months, and you guys have been treated to some of the best preaching that I've heard in this church, not only through Pastor Matt, but also through Don and through Zane. And I kind of feel like, you know, that you're having to settle here for me, but we're going to get through this. We're going to have a really good time this morning. I, I hope that this message will, will bring joy to your hearts, as I know that this passage is, a, is actually a nice, fun, Thanksgiving-type passage. So, amen. Let's bow our heads and pray and, and ask for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, this morning for, again, for just being able to be here. And Lord, I, I thank you and praise you for your word, the word that you've given us to study this morning here in the book of Philippians. Lord, we are grateful that we have your Bible, your book, your love story to us, Lord, that we are able to share and learn about, Lord, and bring glory to you as we learn about you and grow in you and mature in you. And Lord, I pray that this morning that it would be you who speak through me. That you, Lord, would be the voice that comes out of my body. That you would take the words that you have given me over this week, Lord, and to project them out into our open hearts and open minds to hear what it is that you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, it's, it's been a, 2020 has been a really weird year, hasn't it? I mean, it's been, a, it's been a tough year, and if it hasn't been a tough year, it's really been a strange year. You know, I can't remember, I'm, I'm fairly old, but I'm not real, real old, but I've been around a while, and I don't remember a year like this in a long, long time, if ever, and, uh, you know, and, and so when we think of a year like this, and it's hard to believe that we're actually at Thanksgiving week, and yet at the same time, it feels like it's been a thousand days to get to Thanksgiving, like 2020 is a year with no end, you know, with COVID and the election and everything else that's been going on in this world that's just been crazy, crazy nuts. And sometimes when we have weeks like that or years like that, it's we find it hard to be thankful. We find, we find it difficult to find things to even be thankful for. But you know, in, in reality, there are so many things to be thankful for. The majority of us have had good health. And those of us who have suffered through bad health have, have been healed. Some of us have, have gone through multiple surgeries and had joints replaced and the Lord has taken us through those things. We've had new babies be born. I mean, there's been some really good things. For Sherry and I, we moved to La Junta to be with you. And I have to tell you that that's been through all of this chaos and we moved during the middle of the first COVID onslaught and ruined everything when we moved down here and made life difficult. But I can tell you that it has been our joy to be here with you. And we are so thankful for this year to be here, living in La Junta, serving at Calvary Church, 
with Matt Witt and all of you good people. Believe me, this has been the highlight of our life, and we're, we're thankful for this year for you. And as we turn our eyes now towards our passage, this morning our passage we'll find in Philippians 1, 3 through 11. And Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, a church that he helped plant. And he had a great deal of affection for that church, just as we have a great deal of affection for this church and all of you. But as we know, you know, from the Bible, and we've heard about the Apostle Paul, that he was a world-renowned missionary, right, that, to the Gentiles. But he was also a Pharisee, so he, had a, he also had an affection for his Jewish brethren his brothers and sisters that were Jews. And over the course of his lifetime, Paul had met thousands upon thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people. We don't really know how many people that he met because the word doesn't really tell us. But like Paul, you know, and even in our own lives, that no matter how many people that we meet over the course of time, there's always a few that are our favorites. Those people that when you think of them, you know, and a little smile comes to your face. That your heart is filled with joy because of some emotion that you feel for them, some memory that you carry with you from them. And you long to be with them again. And you hope to be with them soon, especially if you've been away from them for some time. Like me being away from this pulpit for two months, I've actually been looking forward to being here to be able to share God's word with you. The church in Philippi is, a, is that group of people for Paul. He is writing to them from prison, probably in Rome. And he is longing to be with them with all of his heart. We see in this passage that the, the Philippians were fiercely loyal to Paul in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might picture, because you know it's Paul, that this might be a megachurch, a big church, a big ornate church, because it's Paul. Who wouldn't want to go to a, a church that Paul started? But that's not the way this church was. This was a, a smallish church, probably not unlike our church, and it was poor by the world's standards. It didn't have a lot of finances and money. But it had a lot more wealth than what the world might see. It had a lot of wealth in the mind of Paul and in the Lord because of their faithfulness to Jesus' mission to establish his church, his bride, to the far reaches of the earth that was known at that time. They stuck by Paul through thick and thin, through his times in prison, through the times where he was beaten and ridiculed. Paul had been through so much more in his life for Christ than any of us could possibly even imagine ourselves going through. But the Philippians stuck with him and they helped him financially and they prayed for him constantly, giving continually to the cause of Christ. We would say that they had a heart for missions and a burden for the lost. 
And as we study our passage, we're going to see two things that really stick out. And the first one is that Paul's joyful thanks for this faithful and loyal church in Philippi. And number two, we'll see that Paul's heartfelt cry, uh, prayer for their spiritual growth and their maturity as they grow in their assurance of their faith in Christ. So let's read our passage together and then we'll dig right into it in the first section. So Philippians 1, starting in verse 3, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, when we read a passage like that, we, I think of, of you and Sherry and my affection for you and the love that we have for you. And we'll get into that more as we go on. But one of the reasons why I picked that passage to preach on this week for Thanksgiving week is because that's how we feel about you. And honestly, that's how Pastor Matt feels about you. And anybody here, and I pray that this is how you feel about each other. And having been around here a long time now, I, I know that you do. And so we're grateful for each one of you. So again, as we start digging into the first section here where Paul is joyfully thankful for the Philippians, we look through verses 3 through 8, we see that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. Scholars say that this letter is Paul's most personal letter of all the letters that he sent to the churches. This is the one that is the most personal because it's the most meaningful to him. He has a great deal of adoration for the Philippians for several reasons. And we can see these in Scripture as Paul's memories and his thoughts of what the church of Philippi means to him. The first place that we can look is in Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 16, 11 through 15. We won't read it today for the sake of time, but you can go back and read it later. But we see at that time that Paul had met a lady named Lydia, who was a woman who sold expensive purple cloth, who probably herself was a fairly wealthy woman because the color purple was very difficult to get a hold of and was known as a royal color because only aristocrats could afford it. But she was sitting there amongst a group of women that Paul was teaching the gospel to, 
she was a woman of prayer. And she listened to what Paul said. And the Lord opened up Lydia's heart. And she became a Christian through the witness of Paul. That's the first one. Can you imagine, have you ever experienced watching someone come to know Christ through your witness? I can assure you that I've been privileged enough to do that a few times in my life. God has blessed me that way. And I pray that if you have not experienced that in your life, that that, that would happen someday for you. But I can tell you that there is nothing, nothing in this world that anyone could give you that's more valuable than watching someone's life go from death to life, to go from unbeliever to believer, to come to faith in Christ. Anyone who has witnessed that in their life would tell you the same thing. And so imagine the, what was going on in Paul's heart when he thinks about Lydia. And now the next one is in Acts 16, again looking at verses 16 through 40. We see at this passage that Paul and Silas, they are in prison together. And as they were in prison singing praises and hymns to the Lord, there was a great earthquake. And in that great earthquake, all the prison cell doors opened and all of the shackles unfastened on all the prisoners. Can you imagine? (laughs) That would have been wild, right? I mean... We would love to have something like that happen here, wouldn't we? Like something, the Spirit move like that here. But there's the poor jailer, the poor Roman jailer who was going to be executed probably because of what happened. But that's not what happened to him. Actually, he saw that, as Paul told him, he said, don't worry, all of us are still here. And the jailer ran to Paul and he fell at his feet and he said, how is it that I can be saved? And Paul was able to share Christ with the jailer and he himself gave his life to Christ. Again, I mean, who could forget that memory? And I meant to say Philippian jailer. I didn't mean to say Roman jailer. Because obviously we're talking about Philippi. So I'm sorry, I Thankfully, Lord, you caught me on that one. The next one is in Philippians 4.16, where Paul refers to a gift that the Philippians gave to him while he was ministering in Thessalonica. The next one is in 2 Corinthians 11.4, when Paul refers to another gift given to him from the Macedonians, which is where Philippi is located, while he was in Corinth. And finally, Paul in Philippians 4.18 recognizes the most recent gift that the Philippians gave to him while he was in prison from Epaphroditus. In this partnership of the Philippian church with Paul, no matter what the circumstances he found himself in, he put, they put joy in his heart. They were with him wherever they are, wherever he was. So let me ask you this, you know, Don't we all appreciate those who stick with us through all of the circumstances, good, bad? You know, when we're healthy or we're sick, whether we're broke or our bank account is full, don't we love those people who hang with us through everything that we go through? 
even when we don't feel very lovable sometimes? Let me ask you this question then. Are you that kind of person to anyone that you know now? Where when they think of you, that the little smile comes on their face? In verse 5, the word partnership is the word koinonia. It's a familiar word if you've been in the church for a long time. And it means fellowship. And, you know, back in the day, they used to use koinonia groups for their community groups names. You know, the, the, the fellowship groups, if you will. But in this case, this word means so much more than just that. This context, it means that they have an intimate bond together. This is a bond that unites believers one to another that only the Holy Spirit can give to us that the world cannot understand. We're different than them. And it cannot be broken. It is a commitment together that's bonded in Christ and for Christ. And that is what Paul is talking about. That their partnership together was this united bond that couldn't be broken. And what is Paul's response to this partnership? Let's look at verse 6. Let's read verse 6 again together. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. They are going to, God is going to continue his work in them. This is their assurance of faith, that their persistence will indeed pay off. Paul is certain of this because their work is not based on themselves, but based solely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone. But it doesn't become complete until Christ returns. And for us, what that means is in the meantime, before Christ returns and comes back and completes us in this way, that we are in a period of sanctification where our salvation is being worked out as each one of us together, united, bonded, in fellowship, are being made more and more into the image of Christ, our Savior. What a great thought during Thanksgiving week that we have a God, a Lord, a Savior, a Jesus who is molding us more and more into his image in spite of us. Paul says in verse 7 that it is right for him to feel this way because this church shows evidence of life, a life that has been changed that it's no longer following the world, but is sharing in the grace given them by Jesus Christ. And this grace is a gift that we cannot earn. It is a gift that we cannot give ourselves. This is a gift that is only given through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is a gift of grace that we, again, are bonded with other believers with, it cannot be taken from us. But it cannot be earned. But it is given to us by a holy God. It is the grace that saves. 
And this is what Paul is explaining to them. This is his heart. This is what he is trying to tell the Philippians through his love and affection. All of these great truths about this. You know, it's like, it's like having a yearning, you know, as he sits there in this prison writing this letter, yearning to be with these people in Philippi. It's like when you have a new love in your life and that your heart starts to, to quake and you start having this feeling that all you're thinking about is that person or, and you just want to be with them all the time and you can't wait. That's the yearning that Paul had for the Philippian church. And as we leave this first section, which is a very personal thank you and a very personal encouragement for the church in Philippi, the next section that we look at, verses 9 through 11, is even more so. Because this is Paul's prayer for the church. This is what he prays for. And I'm going to spend most of our time talking about this and taking it apart. But this is also a prayer that we should and could be praying for others. And I want to assure you that when we look at this prayer, that as leaders in this church, we pray this for you. We pray this prayer in the same way. As we talk about the things that Paul says here in these two verses, these are the things any pastor, any leader, any elder would want for his church body. And if he doesn't, should not be in the pulpit. Should not be in the pulpit. This is our heart given to us by Christ. Let's read these two verses together. Verses 9 through, actually three verses, 9 through 11. Starting in verse 9, it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Man, we could just say amen and go home, really. But I'm not going to let you do that. First of all, we've got be way too early. You'd all go home, and no one would be around to help with Operation Christmas Child. So I know you will, Allison. <laughs> But we're going to hang out here for a little bit while longer. And, uh, and we'll be done, and then we'll be able to help out. But as we begin to look at this, at this prayer, we see that this is Paul's continued stating his love and his adoration for them by praying for them. But it's not, it is not just what the fact that Paul is praying for his church. It is what is he praying for his church. That's the important thing. And there are three things that he prays for in specific. And there are four outcomes from those three things that he hopes to have. And it sounds more daunting than it is. But we're going to look at all of those things together. And the first thing that he prays for is that their love would abound more and more. And what he means by that is, he wants their love to excel. It's, he wants their love to be preeminent over all they do. In other words, their prayer is to be first above anything else that they do. 
that their heart is so full of love that it just continues to grow and grow in abundance. Now, how wonderful is that, really? I mean, have you had anyone pray like that for you that you know of? That your love would grow and grow and grow for each other as well as for Jesus Christ? That your hearts would be full of his love that it would be preeminent, it would be the, the first thing, the highest thing. You know, when we think of the word eminence, right, we, we think of royalty, we think of someone who's on the throne. Preeminent, this preeminence, it's the highest thing we could do is to love. And that's what Paul is praying for his church, that they would be known as a church that loves above all else. And we pray for you that way. We pray that love at Calvary would be preeminent above anything else. That when somebody hears about our church, that they go, oh, that's the church that loves. They love people, and they love each other. That's the kind of church that we want to have at Calvary. That's the kind of church that Jesus wants to have everywhere. And so, of course, that's what we would want for you. The second thing that Paul prays for is that they would gain knowledge. In the NIV, they, it says that, that they would gain a depth of insight, which I think helps to explain what he means by gaining knowledge. And what he says, what Paul is saying is that he wants them to precisely gain the correct knowledge of Jesus Christ in his gospel message. He doesn't want them to be confused by false truths. He wants them to have good doctrine. He wants their theology to be solid. He wants them to know who Jesus truly is. And I tell you, if there is not a pastor in the pulpit or in a congregation that does not want that for their church, that pastor should not be there. Every pastor should have a feeling where all of their parishioners, all of the people that God has called them to shepherd, would want to have good theology and good doctrine and perfect knowledge of Jesus and God and how all of that works together. If you do not have a depth of insight here, we're trying to do our best to help you grow in that. We want you to have that, just as Paul does. We want you to have that to help you love Jesus more, to allow your love to become more preeminent than what it already is. You know, our God is so large and his traits are so many that there's no way that through a short study we'll be able to learn them all. It takes a lifetime of committed study, and even then, by the time you pass away, you won't know everything there is to know about Christ. But we're going to try. It reminds me of, again, of when I met Sherry, you know, who's the love of my life. And when we got started dating, you know, it was like, gosh, I want to know this person. I want to know everything there is to know about Sherry. I wanted to know what her favorite color was. 
think I have it. <laughs> I know it's purple or blue. Because it's both, it depends on the day. See how I know you? <laughs> what her favorite foods are. What she likes to do for fun. You know? All of those things I wanted to know about her. I wanted to know her better than she knew herself. And I'm still learning after 33 years more and more things about her as our relationship develops. And I yearn to be with her all the time. Recently, I was gone up into the mountains for a couple weeks for school. And she came up for a weekend, but I was alone for two weeks for the first time in a long time. And I could not wait. I mean, I ended up thinking, okay, my drive home was only going to be two and a half hours. And then the Lord said, ha, 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 no, 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 no. We'll throw some traffic in the way and we'll make that four hours. And it was like the longest four hours of my life. But it was, but that's the desire to be with that person, to, to want to be with Jesus, to want to know him, to want to know all that there is you can know about him, to be with him. And you know what? Jesus wants that for us too. Because we're his bride. We are his brides. We'll look at that a little bit more later on. The third and final thing was that they would gain full discernment. And what they mean by full discernment, what Paul means by that is to grow in, into a full perception of what is ethically right and wrong in the Lord's eyes so that we can make decisions that are compatible with the will of our Lord based on his word and this requires the being in tune with the Holy Spirit and being filled with him to the brim and learning to listen and to hear him speak through God's word to us that's what it means to have discernment discerning against wrong spirits, discerning against people, you know, who might not be bringing us the truth and the true doctrine, who are trying to keep us from having love that is preeminent above all. Discernment comes through knowledge and love of Christ and wanting to learn through him. So those are the three things that our love would be abundant, that we would have a depth of knowledge and that we would gain full discernment. And then there are four things really quick that Paul prays that he wants to come from those prayers. And the first one of those is so that they can approve what is excellent in the eye of the Lord. And this means being able to recognize and see the more, the more excellent life that Jesus wants us to live by knowing and obeying his will for our life. And what life is that, you might ask? Well, Jesus says this in John 14, 15. That if you love me, you will keep my, my commandments. And then you might ask, well, what are his commandments? And there are a lot of commandments in the Bible. I get that. We have the Ten Commandments plus many others. But Jesus, in his wisdom and his love for his people took all of those commandments and he broke them down into two. And if we look at Matthew 22, 36 through 40, 
And we talk about this a lot in this church, I know, but we're going to remind ourselves of it anyway. Jesus is asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. A love for God, first and foremost, the Shema, as the Jews knew back in Deuteronomy 6, that God told them that the Lord is one and to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And Jesus took it another step further and said that you're to take that same love and now love each other. And it also means that we have to love ourselves. We have to see ourselves for who we are in Christ, that we're his child, that we belong to him, that we are saved sinners by that grace that we talked about earlier in order to love others properly. And sometimes for us, that's, that's above where we live meaning that we have a mind focused not necessarily always on eternal things, but temporal things. But we need to put our mind on eternal things and off of temporal things and live that higher life that Christ has for us. Loving and putting others above ourselves and putting Christ above all. The second thing that he wanted as an outcome is so that they would be pure and blameless when Christ returns. And I want you to think of this like a a newly bleached and washed white garment. And when you unfold it and you hold it up to the light, that it is pure, that there are no stains, that there is no mark, that it is purely, purely clean. Like a wedding dress, if you will. The reason why I say a wedding dress is because Christ wants us, when he comes back for us, to be without blemish, to be without stain, because we are his bride. And he wants to come and take his bride and take us to the wedding banquet to show us off. The one that he conquered for. Do you know that he went after you and he conquered you? He gave his life for you. He is glorified by you as his bride. He bought and paid for you. And he wants to show you off. Isn't that amazing? I can't imagine Jesus wanting to show me off. But he does. He wants wants to go, this is Scott Johnson. And I gave my life for him. He is my bride. He's a part of my church. And he says that same thing for each of you. Let us not forget that. And as we think of this this Thanksgiving, that we are part of his bride. And he wants us to desire him, our husband, our Lord, our Jesus. Paul shares Later in Philippians, in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, his feelings about this. And I want to share them with us, with us this morning. So 
Starting in verse 7 in chapter 3 of Philippians, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage if you will, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not knowing a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Get this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul cannot wait to be called as the bride of Christ. And that is what he is telling the Philippian church, and he is telling them and and encouraging them that this is the feelings that he has for them, And he knows that they also share in those feelings with him. The third thing is to be filled with the fruit of righteousness from Jesus. And what this means is to be liberally filled with the spiritual fruits that come from Jesus. Paul lists these fruits in Galatians 5.22 and they're quickly their love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. And we don't have time to to tackle all of them together, but these are the attitudes and fruits that, that Paul wants us to emanate from ourselves as followers of Christ. Now, how are you doing in those things today? Are you feeling full of the fruits of the Spirit? Are those things present in your life? Because I want you to remember this. Remember that if you are in Christ, if Jesus has your full faith and trust, if you believe in his shed blood on the cross for your forgiveness of sins, if you trust in his resurrection, if you believe that he ascended into heaven, and if you long for Jesus to return to take you home, then these spiritual attributes live in you now and you need not ask for them you already have them and it's time to start acting on them and the last thing quickly is that all of this is to be done to the glory and praise of God and that's not to make this quick about the glory and praise of God obviously that is the greatest thing that we do we don't do any of this for our own selves Paul didn't do any of the things that he did for himself. He did them for the glory of God. And as we move into the Advent season, starting next week, we're going to be talking more and more about the glory and majesty of God. But I want us to understand today that everything that we say, everything we do, everything that we think is a reflection on us and how we think of God, how we think of Jesus. And if what we are doing right now In that moment, if it does not bring him glory, then we shouldn't be involved in it. For it is his glory that reigns supreme. And it is for his glory alone that we must live. Calvary, I I share, excuse me, I share this message with you. Because as leaders, 
of this body, we are just as thankful for you, as I said earlier, as Paul is for the church in Philippi. You have stuck with us through thick and thin. Before we were here, this church has been around a long time, over many iterations, through many pastors, and yet here you are still. You've worked through COVID-19, through health, through richness, through poorness. You've stuck with the work of spreading the gospel, making Jesus' name non-ignorable. And all of the prayers that we have for you are as deep as the prayers that Paul has for the church in Philippi. But there is much work to do. There is a world that needs Jesus in La Junta, in Los Animas, and all up and down the Highway 50 corridor, people are dying every day without Christ and his forgiveness. And that must not be. It must not be. It needs to bother us in our minds and in our hearts to action. For us to own and support the work that we're going to be doing in Los Animas, planning a church and trying to bring light into a dark area. It means to think bigger and greater things for what we already do with Operation Christmas Child and to remember that these are not just boxes that we put together. These are gospel opportunities for a child to hear the hope of Christ for the first time. Who knows how the kingdom will be affected by one who gives their life to the Lord. And to pray for those who serve with the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, the IMB as it's called, across the globe. Did you know, you probably don't, that the Calvary Family of Churches has a missionary that was recently sent out a few months ago from Calvary Wellspring and his family, and his name is Ian Mack. I've met Ian, and he is a cool guy, and his family are wonderful people. And they are in Southeast Asia, serving the Lord there. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for him and his family, for the work that is going on. Again, Matt is in Hot Sulphur Springs, preaching and helping there bring the good news. There are opportunities everywhere for us to be involved. We can't just sit on our duffs and expect the work to be done. That is not what God has called us to do. I want to ask you some tough questions. At least I think they're tough. They were tough for me to have to answer myself. So remember that whenever we stand up here in the pulpit, I'm going through this for like a week, and you're only going through it for like, 40 minutes. So these things are things I have to think about myself. How often do you think about lost people? Lost people that are in La Junta, in Los Animas, in Europe, in Asia, in Iran. How often do you pray for them? Hopefully you'll see over the next several months in this year that we'll have a greater and greater outreach and global missions focus. 
If one thing COVID-19 and this crazy 2020 year has taught us is that our time before Christ's return is shorter and shorter, which means that our urgency must be greater and greater. So let us join with the church in Philippi and partner in the gospel together for the glory of Christ. What can you do, you might ask? Well, there's some simple things you can do. Make a list of all the lost people that you may know in your life. And take a few of them each day and pray for them. Pray by asking by name that Christ would save them. Get out a map or go online now and pick out a country. And begin to pray for the lost in that country and for the workers that are already in that country. Maybe the Lord one day will call you to go there for at least a short-term mission trip. I know that probably scares some of you half to death. But what do you think happened when Sherry and I found out we were moving to La Junta? But we're here, and we're grateful. <laughs> it is time for us to be grateful and thankful for the Lord, but there's also a lot of work to do. And we must keep plowing ahead until it is complete. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the study of your word, Lord. I pray, God, that we would not just end in gratefulness and thankfulness, Lord, but we would be like the church in Philippi, and we would stick by the work of the gospel through thick and thin. That, Lord, we would be a part of the solution to reaching the lost, to bring more people in, to make your bride even more elegant than she already is. Lord, I, I pray, God, that your will would be done here in this church. That we are grateful for each person that is here and for the partnership that they've had over time. That we cannot wait to see what you have in store for us ahead. Thank you for getting us through a crazy year.